Did social distancing work during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918? Did American cities flatten the curve by closing down businesses and regulating the interactions of their populations? Are there any lessons we can learn from this era? One of the very first arguments that was offered in support of our aggressive social distancing strategy was this comparison to 1918. And the story goes something like this. In Philadelphia, in the fall of 1918, the city leaders didn't take the threat of the Spanish flu seriously enough. They allowed a war bond parade to proceed. Subsequently, their death tolls spiked and their hospitals were overrun with sick patients. St. Louis, on the other hand, having seen the damage that the flu could impose, took aggressive collective action and ordered the closure of places of public amusement, businesses, schools, etc. Because of this, St. Louis fared comparatively well, and their death counts were substantially lower than those of Philadelphia. As the COVID-19 crisis began to unfold, this historical comparison started showing up consistently in news stories and articles. All the headlines dealing with this topic had very similar verbiage. There were numerous articles that tried to make this reference to 1918, and it made for a very tidy talking point. You would always see the story show up with a nice little graphic of the curve that we've all become quite familiar with now. And the convenient moral of this story is that we should embrace the comprehensive mandates coming from our mayors, our governors, and even the White House. This historical analogy played no small role in influencing public policy. Going beyond just the headlines and looking at some of the academic papers and research behind this, this historical comparison looms large in the thinking of many epidemiologists on how to fight a pandemic. But is this comparison accurate? And why do most of the retellings of the events of 1918 only include an analysis of two cities, namely Philadelphia and St. Louis? What happened in other American cities? And did this analogy play out? Take, for instance, the city of Chicago. Chicago was typically grouped among those cities that did comparatively well during the pandemic. According to a March 27, 2020 National Geographic article entitled How Some Cities Flattened the Curve During the 1918 Flu Pandemic, Chicago registered 373 deaths per 100,000 residents over a period of 24 weeks of pandemic. This was just slightly higher than St. Louis at 358, Milwaukee at 359, Indianapolis at 290, and Minneapolis at 267. By comparison, the cities that did poorly had death rates ranging from 600 to 807 per capita. These cities included Boston, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Denver. But why did Chicago do so well comparatively? Was it because they were strict in their regulations? 
or proactive in shutting down businesses? Actually, if one takes a look closely at the regulations that were imposed during the pandemic in Chicago, one will find that Chicago was among the least strict cities. For instance, Chicago never closed its bars and restaurants, it never closed its schools, never closed its churches, and the regulations that were imposed were only in effect for a very short period of time. On October 11th, the city banned public dances, and by October 15th, the city had closed down theaters, night schools, and generally places of public amusement. These restrictions began to lift on October 29th, and by November 4th, even public dances were allowed to resume. These relatively lenient restrictions were only in place for about two weeks. By comparison, the restrictions in most of the cities that had high death tolls lasted for at least a month or longer, and they were much stricter. Take, for instance, the city of Pittsburgh, which had 807 deaths per capita the very worst of all the big cities. Pittsburgh was subject to a statewide order that went into effect on October 3rd and lasted in various phases through November 9th. These restrictions included closures of churches, bars, restaurants. So by comparison, Pittsburgh was much stricter. Or take the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, in most media accounts, is known for having allowed a war bond parade to proceed and this is what's often given as the reason for why their death tolls were so high. Yet the city of Chicago also had a war bond parade. But Chicago didn't suffer anywhere near the same fate as Philadelphia. In fact, comparing Chicago's regulations to the regulations of all the cities that had high death counts, one will find that Chicago's regulations were far less comprehensive. But Chicago was not the only city that had comparatively less strict regulations. The city of New York, perhaps the only other city that was even less strict than Chicago, ended up with a death toll of 452 per capita. This again was far better than cities like Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Boston that had much stricter regulations. New York was in fact even less strict than Chicago in that New York allowed its theaters to continue operating with some minor regulations. But New York also allowed its schools to stay open, its churches, its bars, its restaurants. So New York was very lenient. Then there were other cities that had low death counts. Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Indianapolis, while these cities were somewhat more strict than Chicago and New York, their regulations were fairly in line with those cities that did poorly. If you compared the length of the regulations and the comprehensiveness of the regulations, you'll find that they're very similar to what was imposed in cities like Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Boston. Even cities like Milwaukee and Minneapolis had some notable exemptions. Milwaukee, for instance, closed down its churches and its schools, but left its bars open. The only thing that really distinguished cities like St. Louis, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis from the cities that had high death counts was the fact that these cities had reimposed their school closures for a brief period of time during the month of December as a second death peak hit. Other than that, their regulations were fairly similar.
So where does this idea come from, that there's a correlation between cities that had strict regulations and lower death counts? One of the sources that National Geographic relied on, and this was a source that's also been cited in many other newspaper articles, is an article entitled Non-Pharmaceutical Interventions Implemented by U.S. Cities During the 1918 to 1919 Influenza Pandemic. This is a 2007 article from the Journal of the American Medical Association. Now, if you go to the citation section of this particular study, you'll find works authored by some familiar names. So, these papers certainly have quite a big influence on public policy. What this article does is it looks at all non-pharmaceutical interventions, which essentially is a fancy way of saying interventions other than through medicine. This is a somewhat technical academic paper, but it's not that hard to read. They've got a nice little section with tables, and they explain how they assemble their data and their criteria for what they're trying to present. Their conclusions are a lot more reserved than the conclusions offered by the media sources that regurgitate their findings. They acknowledge that there are all kinds of limitations to the comparisons they're trying to make between 1918 and the 2000s. For instance, they brought up the fact that in 1918, far more Americans lived on farms than do now. Thus, the impact of closing down these types of businesses may not have been as calamitous in that era. There is a disconnect between what the actual science says and how the science is reported on in the media. The media outlets that have used this article or have referred to it don't necessarily understand its findings. Some of the confusion comes in again with the term non-pharmaceutical interventions. That includes far more than just closing down businesses and banning public gatherings. Non-pharmaceutical interventions include strategies that have nothing to do with business closures. For instance, in many of these cities there were regulations that were imposed, such as banning smoking in streetcars or in theaters, there were regulations regarding spitting in Chicago. Some of these more eccentric regulations were imposed by the city's public health commissioner, one John Dill Robertson. Robertson, retrospectively, is seen by some as a kind of public health hero. In his own time, he was often regarded as being a bit overbearing. He held some unusual beliefs, such as that bathing could cause pneumonia. Now, regardless of whether he should be seen as a hero on the one hand or as a misguided individual on the other, nobody looking back thinks that any of these regulations had any real impact on slowing down the Spanish flu pandemic. Nevertheless, they are included amongst these non-pharmaceutical interventions. So when you see a city like Chicago that was supposedly better about implementing non-pharmaceutical interventions, they're including things other than closing down businesses. So some of these findings may be technically accurate, but they're deceptive. Another thing that gets confused when you look at this academic paper is that they've also included a strategy that's different from the social distancing strategy. The JAMA study points out that in both New York and Chicago, 
There were efforts made to quarantine particular individuals and particular places. These quarantine measures took place, for instance, at Great Lakes Naval Base in Chicago and in the Port of New York. So this was also included amongst their non-pharmaceutical interventions. Brief mention was made of this in the National Geographic article when discussing New York. But again, one has to separate these strategies. The targeted quarantining and tracing strategy is different from the extreme social distancing strategy where you close down businesses. So why are there those who seem so desperate to make this comparison? This is because there are many voices in the media, in academia, and in government that believe that these problems need to be solved with big public policy initiatives. There are those who want broad, all-encompassing public health mandates and policies. This in turn leads to pressure on public officials to take action or to do something, even when these particular measures might not be doing any real good. Some of that plays a role in how we see the past. There are those who want to find patterns or learn lessons from the way we handled past crises, but there's no evidence that closing down businesses in the past did any good. However, there is one lesson that we can and should learn from this. That is that we should all fact check and not accept these narratives so casually. A lot of information is being thrown at you about pandemics. Some of this information you are told to completely ignore and not even consider. And you have big tech censoring this information. And then you have other information that you're told to accept without question and that you dare not do your own critical thinking or research. This historical comparison to 1918 is a perfect example of this. At a minimum, this story is not quite as simple as some have presented it in the media. Now, that being said, feel free to fact check this presentation, and if you have a different opinion, let us know about it. In fact, go on our YouTube channel, Law and Policy with Brian Krause, Leave a comment, a like, subscribe, or check out our podcast. Again, Law and Policy with Brian Krause on Spotify, Google, and Apple.